This is your second read aloud of popularity. The last time we read, we met Will and we met the Allen boys. And they were trying to find that four-leaf clover, trying to figure out if they found that four-leaf clover, they would abandon each other. And since we've been talking about the a character's less likable sides, we kind of got an insight into Will. Will was ready to abandon the Allens, and they were ready to abandon Will. He wasn't so loyal, was he? As I read today, I wanted to think and focus on Will and his less likable sides, but also take a good look at his character traits as well, and use evidence and reasoning and your thinking to figure out exactly what kind of person he is. Now remember, the last time we read, Will was ready to make a plan. He was ready to cross those 20 long yards to try to figure out, to try to get in with the very popular boys. I took a deep breath, and then with great trepidation, I crossed the 20 longest yards I had ever walked in my life and found myself standing a few feet from the outer circle of what I hoped was my destiny. I lowered my head a little so as not to draw attention to myself and watched and listened. Mitch Brockman, a lean, long-faced comic, considered by many to be the funniest boy in the fourth grade, was in the middle of a story that had something to do with Tawana and a Wienomobile. And I wasn't sure what the story was about, but there was a lot of body English and innuendo, all of which the crowd seemed to find absolutely hilarious. I noticed that every time Mitch said something funny, he eyed John Owens to see if he was laughing. He was silently. His mouth was open, but it was the laughter of the other boys that filled the silence. I realized then that Mitch was Sean's jester. As long as he could make Sean laugh, he was assured a prominent position in the group. I wonder what my position in the group might be. I certainly wasn't a great athlete, a student, or a ladies' man, but I did have a sense of humor. Maybe I could be the second funniest boy in the fourth grade. My thoughts went no further because the bell-ending recess rang. But that night, just before I fell asleep, I saw myself standing in the center of the popular boys, telling the funniest stories anyone ever heard. I saw Sean Owens doubled up with laughter. I saw myself triumphant. I returned to that group every recess for three days. I stood unnoticed, just outside the outer circle, waiting for my moment for the one joke or wisecrack that would make me popular. I knew that I would only get one chance to prove myself, and that if I failed, I would be sent back to the stable, so to speak. And so, with the single-mindedness of a scientist, I listened to the jokes the other boys made, hoping to align my comic sensibilities with theirs. And now and then, I found myself on the verge of saying something. But every time I opened my mouth to speak, Mitch would launch into another routine, and my moment passed, and I had to resign myself to yet another day in the dark. I did not know that that popularity, popularity has a lifespan and that Mitch's time was about to run out. It's a sad fact of life that the clothes a child wears and how he wears them often determine his rank in school society. I knew it. Sean Owens knew it. Everyone in school knew it. So maybe it was carelessness or temporary insanity or a subconscious desire to step back into the stress-free shadows of being anonymous, that caused Mitch Brockman to wear a yellow shirt with a yellow pair of pants. He might have gotten away with it if I hadn't left for school that same morning, unaware that one folded cuff of my jeans was noticeably lower than the other. As it was, the two of us were on a collision course that only one of us would survive. Now, I want to bring your attention to what just happened. Um, Earlier, we read that for three days, Will went to that group and stood outside and he listened and he watched. 
and he was waiting for a moment where he could speak. And just as he said, with a single-mindedness of a scientist, he listened to the jokes. He was waiting for his moment. And this tells me that Will is a very strategic, patient uh, person. He he wants to really be popular. So he also has a lot of aspirations and ambitions. And in, in a way, he's a determined, but he's also not very loyal. So let's continue. At recess on that fateful day, I took my customary place, a foot from the popular boys, wondering if I would ever get a chance to prove myself, and then listened to Mitch tell another variation of his story about the Wienermobile. I pretended to enjoy the story as much as the others, while my mind strayed toward dreams and when I did not have to feel so out of place. And Mitch and Sean and I were the best of friends. And then, with suddenness that jarred me back to a reality, Mitch Brockman, a boy who had never noticed me, he never even seemed to know or care that I was alive. He turned to me, pointed at my uneven pants, and said, Someone needs a ruler. This was, perhaps, the wittiest remark he had ever made, and I froze. With four words, he had de- devastated all of my aspirations, my dreams. He defined me as a fool, and he all but condemned me to a life of shame and obscurity. I could see my future, my boyhood itself, crumbling to dust as I heard the laughter and felt the heat of the spotlight upon me. I pointed at Mitch's yellow pants and shirt and said, Someone else needs a mirror. You look like a canary. And then, with the grace of a magician's assistance, I raised my left arm in a gesture and said, Boys, I give you Tweety Bird. And it was all over. As the volume of the laughter doubled, Mitch seemed to vanish. And that day, on that playground, Sean Owen's laughter was heard for the first time. In an instant, Mitch Brockman became Tweety Bird. And I, I, an absolute non-entity, became somebody, and then somebody special, somebody to seek out, someone to follow. Sean Owen's first gesture and best friend, the entire transformation was complete in a matter of months. During this time, Mitch became a less and less vocal part of the group, telling fewer and fewer stories, until finally, the following year, he was gone to another school perhaps, or another state, or another country. I never knew. No one knew because no one noticed. No one had called him for months. But my phone rang. My weekends were filled with sleepovers and baseball games and bowling parties and bicycle races and more new friends that I knew what to do with. And I did not trust one of them because I knew then that I was standing on sand and was only a yellow shirt and a pair of pants away from the oak trees, where the two Allens were still looking for four-leaf clovers. Think about that for a minute. That is wild. So I want you to think, when you're reading, don't be satisfied with your, with your first thought. Meaning, dig deep, right? Dig deep. Look for precise language that will help you determine the character traits of your protagonist and your antagonist. Look for precise language. Look for less likable sides. Look for likable sides. Look for evidence. Look for reasoning. And get ready for ideas with evidence. So as you read today, I want you to think about your character, 
less likable sides? How is your character changing? What in the story tells you that your character is changing? What is the evidence? What does your character say? What does your character do? What does your character think? And what is the strongest evidence? Then enjoy your reading. You're off. Enjoy today.